This episode of the NFT Stories podcast is supported by Own Every Word, a comedy NFT project minting every word as a one-of-one NFT with a hilarious definition, where the words can then be used on game shows for more NFT prizes. I'm a partner in this project. I'm really proud of it. So to learn more, go to ownevryword.com. And as always, this is not financial advice, so only buy in if you dig it. Hi, I'm Phil Ranta, the host of NFT Stories Podcast. Every week we tell another story from this multi-billion dollar market alongside the artists, collectors, companies, and entrepreneurs that are making it all happen. There were loads of easy ways to make money during the dot-com bubble in the 90s. Folks were buying up domains with common words, slapping together a few pages on a deck about how they were going to take X industry and move it to the internet, and venture capitalists were screaming, shut up and take my money. Financial magazines and newspapers at the time were absolutely effusive about the potential, further inflating already incredible valuations. I can tell you from experience, nothing turns a venture capitalist from a skeptic into an expert like reading one Wall Street Journal article about it. And what happened? Starting in 1999, many of these companies started missing their growth projections. Some that IPO'd had their stock prices plummet. Founders with poor business acumen were revealed. And the glory days of free money started coming to an end. But what came out of that boom? Those with strong businesses were able to weather the storm. Amazon went from bookseller to juggernaut in the e-commerce business as did eBay, and Shutterfly, and Priceline, so many names we still rely on today. And how did this happen? Simply, they were built to be sustainable businesses. There are a lot of similarities to Web3. Now that we're seeing our first post-crypto winter NFT apocalypse, many projects have had to rethink their roadmap. Money isn't free anymore, and speculators are feeling less spendy. The term rug pull, meaning an NFT project abandoning their roadmap after their mint, is now being attributed to plenty of projects that were likely launched with good intentions. So how do you as a collector, company, or creator do your best not to fall apart when the crypto market tanks? Meta Angels NFT has done just that. I got a chance to chat with Alexandra Kavalakos, CEO and co-founder of Meta Angels. Now this isn't the kind of project you're seeing all over the press, but they've melded the model of an incubator and a Web3 community backed by business professionals with a background running successful businesses. And Alex had incredible advice to share on how projects that are looking beyond the cash grab can approach the market. As always, this is not financial advice. Buy any NFT at your own peril and don't gamble with money you aren't ready to set on fire, even if it's digital money. So let's go to Web3 Business School with Alex. Alex Kavalakis from Meta Angels NFT. Thank you so much for joining the NFT Stories podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat today. Absolutely. So just to give a little bit of context about who you are, where you position, Meta Angels NFT is a collection. Um, You're doing a lot of really interesting stuff. It's an interesting time for people who are artists and collection owners. But I'd love to hear in your own words what Meta Angels NFT is doing in the space. Absolutely. So Meta Angels is an NFT membership community. Um, We are focused around the values of generosity, transparency, and accessibility. And we really, when we 
you know, founded this, um, this company, we're looking at the space and NFTs in general as the intersection between a membership card and a personal brand. That's really what it had become. What represents you and what part of community, what kind of communities do you want to be a part of? Um, and so we created the community that we would want to be a part of and the sort of PFP we would want to represent us. Um, and it was all around being helpful people who break down the walls that keep people out, who help lift people up in their careers personally and professionally, um, the ways that we have benefited from in our own careers and lives, um, and helping people really find community um, and be part of something that's going to improve not just their experience online, but their day-to-day -day lives. I love that. So many Web3 projects talk about community, but when you ask a Web3 project owner what community means to them, a lot of times they will blank or they'll say, hey, Bored Apes had a community, so we thought we'd have a community. Yes. But yours actually has a mission statement, right? We actually want to do this thing. How was that uh, realized within your community when anyone could uh, ostensibly buy this? Yeah, absolutely. So we were really um, thoughtful about how we set this up from the beginning. Um, for anyone who followed us before Mint and through Mint, our tagline for it, our mission, our, our focus was intention, not hype. Um, so we were, you know, we didn't do Twitter raids and retweet and, you know, grind left and right to get onto our allow list, um, which we called the gold list. Um, it was really about, are you contributing to the community? It's that easy. And what we made really central, so it's tied to this um, value of generosity, is what we call the wishing well, which still exists today. It's a very big part of our community. And it's where you can go and ask for help. Say, what do you need? Do you need advice? Do you need a connection? Are you looking to... Um, to connect with someone in a particular field or location? Is it a personal question? We've seen things all over. And essentially to get on the list to mint Meta Angels, and which ended up selling out in pre-sale. So everyone mm -hmm. who minted a Meta Angel helped someone else before they did. That was it. That's great. You could post and ask, you could re rep uh, reply, but we've seen you know, projects get founded because they found each other in our wishing well. Um, people have gotten raises, negotiated um, for the first time, feeling not sure how to do it and got advice and did that well. People got jobs, a lot of jobs, both both from the community, but also help from the community and how to navigate that introductions to people at companies. And then on the personal side, everything from um, I'm, you know, one of the stories that that had really touched me early on was someone who posted, I'm uh, someone going through the divorce of my parents as an adult, and I have no one to talk to about it. Wow. I don't, I don't really know. And I'm, I'm not going to turn to my friends. It feels sort of, I can, any, has anyone, can anyone relate? I'm not sure how to sort of what role I have in this. Um, and they chatted with a few people who'd been through it. And so, you know, it's really can be anything that would be useful, but it's this desire for connection on one side mm -hmm. um, and the desire to help others on the other, which I, th I think is truly uh, a big part of what drives us as humans is wanting that community, that connection. And how can we use that as a force for good across barriers, across nationalities, um, across, you know, the Ethereum blockchain? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. As somebody who formerly worked at Facebook, we would always say, we're building communities, right? You can start a Facebook group, you can invite people in, you can have a community. Web3 is the token-gated community, right? You need to own in order to participate in the community. Why did you feel like this project was something that needed to have that Web3 element in order to, to function the way that it does? Yeah, it's really interesting. It's a question that... Um we really spent time on before launching it. It wasn't just let's do this, but on chain because it's popular right now, which I think is happening in other spaces. Um, there were a couple elements to it. One is most membership communities have some sort of cap on who's included, um, but there's a centralized gatekeeper who decides who's allowed to be there. And so a lot of the communities that have really made an impact on my life 
um, to date. So I, I grew up in Europe. I came here for college, but I went to an Ivy League school. I worked for a top tier consulting firm. I then uh, founded a startup that went through Y Combinator. All of those networks are networks that I can turn to to this day that help me professionally or personally in different ways. But someone else let me in. And yes, I worked hard and all of those things, but I was also lucky. I was in the right place at the right time. Um, and now I have an advantage. That's how a lot of people get to where they are is they have networks and advantages. And so what was interesting to us was thinking about how do we create a community where to begin with, we get some limited curation of who might mint, right? By doing a presale, by taking people who at least were drawn to our values, who wanted to help others. But now people, anyone could in theory join the community. And if it's for them and they participate, they stay, um, they continue to contribute. And if it's not for them, they can leave. That's one of the interesting things around secondary markets. But, and this is something where going back to the accessibility perspective and the, that side of it was really important for us, the, the, the sort of double-edged sword of doing something token gated is you don't control the secondary market as a founder, right? You can set your mint price and then it's up to the market, both the macroeconomic market and sort of specifically the secondary market around your own project. And we looked at it as we're going to build this for the long term. We believe we're building value. If we do that well, and if the macroeconomic market does well, which I believe it will bounce back, right? Um, then you can't control how expensive it is to get into your community. That felt like a real challenge because if you take, you know, I've heard stories of, you know, there's teachers who are in board, ape, you know, in board apes. Mm -hmm. A teacher today could not buy into it. They just happened to buy at the right time. Right. Um, and so that was a really fundamental sort of friction that actually led to innovation. So mm -hmm. we were like, how do we think about accessibility? Um, this was Ali, my co-founder Ali's idea was, could we find some sort of lending mechanism that would allow for technology to power accessibility on chain? Mm -hmm. And so we were the first project we pioneered on chain lending, not for financial gain, but for access. And so if I have a dozen meta angels, I don't need 12 membership cards to get into the discord, right? I don't need to, I might hold them for future reasons, but in the moment, I don't need all of them. Why not put them to use to help other people and to help the community? So you can lend them on chain to someone else and that person can't sell or transfer it, but they can get access to all the membership benefits. They can get into the Discord channels. They can connect with people for free. And if whenever you as the owner are ready, you can retrieve it. And so it's allowed artists who are breaking into the space to get access, to develop relationship with collectors, to hear from other artists, to find partners. Um, it's allowed teenagers uh, doing civics DAOs to sort of mm -hmm. get the word out and find support for what they're doing. Um, all sorts of different folks. We had just just this week, uh, 18 students from Ashesi University, um, an African university focused on gender equality um, and education, especially for women. And one of our members was teaching a class there and reached out to the community in the wishing well and said, hey, I'm, if, you know, we, I'd love to give some of these students a chance to actually participate in Web3 and see what it's like to be part of a community. Is anyone willing to lend? And we had you know, over a dozen folks raise their hand. I was one of them. And so I ended up being able to lend my angel to someone who now can participate, learn, and be part of this economy without telling them, go spend your money on this right now, because not everyone can do that. So that for us is really, um, to go back to the question of community, I think part of community has to be how do you bring people in, right. um, not just how do you keep people out. And so that's how we sort of balance. We thought token gating was a really interesting way to do that um, and also allowed us to cross borders, right? If we started this business, otherwise it would be all US to begin with. Here we can have people all over the world um, and that makes a really big difference to build it that way from the start.
I love that because a, a lot of those same dynamics are things that you see in non-Web3 companies, right? You get three months free at your Netflix password, then maybe you'll be able to go get your own or, you know, like this kind of lending mechanism is something that you do see in a lot of membership clubs. But in Web3, a lot of it, because it's such a purely speculative market in so many instances, people go, this is mine. I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to hold on to my value. I'm going to promote the heck out of it on Twitter to say it's cool. So the, the prices raise and, you know, it feels like, you know, that it's a speculative market. What I really like about your project is that it feels more like a business business, right? Where it's, we take, we bring in money, we then offer value in return. And one of the things that made me most excited was this idea of an accelerator, right? Because you you just mentioned you've been through Y Combinator and the idea of being able to have a smaller looped accelerator where people can launch their own Web3 ideas in this incredibly blue water market right now is really cool. Can you talk a little bit about how that, the, how the accelerator functions? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, it's funny. It's, it's absolutely that around thinking about it as a business. Um, my co-founders are, we're serial entrepreneurs. We've built businesses, launched them. We have the product side, the marketing side, the tech side, and there's a real, it's not so much an art and a science, but there's a, a when you're building a business, you need to do certain things. It's not an after-school special, right? And so I think for us, we took that approach from the beginning. Um, and then we looked at the space and said, we want to help we learned a lot going through our mint. We knew all the business piece. We had the product market and community backgrounds. Web3 was new to us and how to mint, how to do art generation. And what you realize is a lot of that is stuff that you just need to know for the mint, right? Or you just need to know for the beginning. The rest of it is unique to what you're building. And so how can we help accelerate people who are operators who know what they're doing, who have a really clear perspective, but who are trying to figure out all the same questions we asked ourselves how do we help give them those answers so they can focus on what they do so uniquely and do it really well? Um, or how can we take people who are amazing at Web3 and who need some of those? Hey, make sure you set up a bank account. Make sure that you have a company wallet, right? For make sure you put money aside for taxes. Like there are both sides of those. We said there's a couple of pillars you need. Um, and so actually it was right around our mint, Gabe, uh, our technical co-founder, who's fantastic, also went through Y Combinator six months after me. We just didn't know each other at the time. Um, we met him through the Flower Girls Discord of all places. Nice. Um, but we, uh, he was chatting. He's like, who's going to build the YC of Web3? And you know, a week later, we're like, should we do it? <laughs> and we're in the middle of mint. We're super busy. We're not sleeping. But we felt this urge to share not just what we had learned and our experience, our past experience, um, but to sort of open more doors in the space to people who are maturing the space and pushing the envelope on innovation. So that's sort of the inspiration for it. Angel Labs came out of that. It's a separate entity, a separate company, but it's very closely tied to Meta Angels, of course. And the idea was, let's create an accelerator that takes known operators of people who really have experience in Web3 and helps them launch something that's pushing a little bit the envelope. It's not another PFP drop, no shade to people who are doing that, but how do we help continue to push? Because we are so early in terms of the innovation of what technology can do on chain. So the first cohort is all NFT enabled businesses in some way, shape or form, who not all of them are collections. I think there's room for that to expand even more within Web3 and future cohorts. Um, but we launched it and within two weeks had over 300 applications, wow. which was just blew our mind. We expected to take 10 companies. The talent and pool was just so immense. Um, we ended up taking 16 and still did not take everyone who we thought could be fantastic, but it was as many as we could support and do a good job with. Um, and we've got a full range. And so the Angel Labs itself is a 10-week accelerator. It has four verticals, um, business operations, art and art generation, tech, and community and marketing. 
There's um, a couple of sessions per week. I do deep dives. I actually just did one yesterday for 90 minutes on art generation, rarity tables. How do we set that up? What did we do with the tech? How could you think about it? What are pros and cons? And just dumped all that information out of my brain into people who will then take it and do their own thing with it. But at least they have that fundamental um, understanding underneath. And then we have a whole slew of mentors. I mean, incredible people from, you know, Zeneca, Keith Grossman at Time, um, founders of different projects that we know, Carly at Overpriced JPEGs, all these wonderful people who are such giving folks in the space who are spending time either one-on-one or in masterclasses with our founders um, to really help them continue to sort of evolve and think through what they're building. Um, so that's the goal is to get them from concept through, you know, either to mint or ready for mint. Um, and we're working with, it was really surprising. You know, we have two companies in here who are CPG companies already selling things on the shelves that you can buy who are entering wow. Web3. Um, one is Who Chocolate, um, which I'm a big fan of. I love chocolate. And theirs is very, very good. It's a paleo chocolate you can buy at Whole Foods. Oh, cool. They, yeah, it's really great. Um, but they were looking at how do we, they're, they're a B Corp. They're really focused on sustainability, fair trade. They're like, how can we help? you know, c- cacao farmers on the ground and have sustainable income to be able to help them really get more um, more money to sort of run run their businesses, live their lives in a, in a space that's quite exploitative and that's not very transparent um, in terms of, you know, cacao and coffee in particular. So they're doing something around that in Web3. Um, the other one, which we just announced yesterday, there's actually in, in just, just, you know, 40 minutes from now, we're going to have a big spaces with them, um, is if you know Mars, the CPG company, their, um, their pet care company, Shiva, has been working for 15 years on something called Hope Grows to regrow coral reefs. And they developed technology to do that. And that's going to be a doubt. So for people who are passionate about environmental impact, it's not just, hey, here's, let's do something and raise some money. This is tech that is, has been proven is showing is going to make an impact on regrowing coral reefs, which is so critical for ecosystems and bringing, you know, through Web3, bringing community into it. So those are two examples, but we've got ones working on democracy. There's a digital carbon sponge. Um, there's like all sorts of really interesting implications. And so that for us is what got us excited is how do we keep pushing, you know, what can be done in Web3? And tying that to really impactful, thoughtful missions with operators who know what they're doing and have all of them learn from each other as much as they learn from us. So I'm just so bullish on it. Um, and Meta Angels holders get special access to those mints, which is like a nice, you know, plus if you are a holder, if you're part of our community. Um, but, you know, being able to sort of continue to contribute outside of what we're doing at Meta Angels to evolving the ecosystem, I think is important. It's a responsibility, I think, as leaders to not navel gaze and just look at, you know, what can you do or what's the, you know, what's the big thing going on this week, but taking a longer term view. And even though you only have four verticals, it's pretty wide, right? Which is great because what we've seen, even through all of these interviews with on this particular podcast is Everybody has a million great ideas because there is not an industry in the world that could not be disrupted by having a stronger community around it or smart contract technology or DAOs or all of these things have superpowers that we just haven't been able to see before. Ones that can be misused, but the superpower part of it, if used properly, can be explosive and disruptive and and amazing. Um, When you're honing into the project, are you focused more on... Um, possible financial impact? Are you focused on global impact? Are you focused? Is there a particular kind of like even across the four verticals? What's the top line thing that you're looking for that you think gives it the most potential? Um, you mean for the specific companies? Like how would we choose right. them? Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think when we looked at it, we we both looked for sort of the experience piece, right? Like mm-hmm. it is 
no joke to build in this space. Um, you know, been a, I ran a tech VC backed tech startup, tech startup for ten years. Um, it, building a company is already hard enough. Building it in a space that moves this quickly, um, that is this volatile, um, is is not easy. And so we look for people who had that skill and that background as a first piece. And it could be there's different ways to look at that, but operators, people who know how to run things and build things, um, who understand what product market fit is and how to get there. So that was, I think, a big piece of it. The other is, is this an interesting new idea? And there were a lot of them. Um, but we also, there's some things that there's a lot of um, folks in the space. And what is the, the secret sauce? What is the unique insight that these companies have and what they want to do? And so, um, you know, some of them will probably end up, you know, uh, with, with greater proceeds from their mint than others, but it may be strategic for them in terms of how they're minting, what they want to mint. Do they want it to be accessible? Is it a bigger or a smaller number of, um, of tokens? And that was not the primary lens. If we said, let's pick the ones that are going to make the most money, um, it probably would be the really hypey ones that might not be around in six months, some of them. And so this was around how do we pick something that's going to last, companies that are, have commitment, right? If you take a CPG company and spent 15 years building this tech, it's not the same as someone who last week said, hey, it'd be really trendy to do a, a green NFT project, right? Um, and so looking at that sort of um, that real passion for what they're doing and that, that sort of differentiated piece. And then why is Web3 a part of it? I think there's some folks we interviewed to your question earlier. We said, this would be great. It doesn't need to be Web3. Um, and so how do we bring more people into the ecosystem? How do we impact the world outside of this ecosystem? And how do we mature the space? I think those were some of the lenses we looked at. Which makes a ton of sense. And you spoke a little bit to it uh, within that question, but it is a really hard time to build within this space, harder than it was three months ago, let's say. Um, not that every project is about the revenue and speculation, but a lot of people are kind of using this as a way to fund further initiatives, right? And now when the price of ETH is half of what it was before, building within the space, if you look at it kind of like the Kickstarter of Web3 model, which I think a lot of projects do, then it, it has become twice as hard because you're getting half as much funding up front. So when somebody's looking at how they can build in front of the space, somebody that's in your accelerator, and now suddenly they're in uh, a market where a lot of people are now going, ooh, this market feels scarier now than it did three months ago. What does it take to get them to stay encouraged and not look at the market and say, look, we believe in the technology. We don't just look at it as a, a trendy fad, right? Is there a certain uh, level of messaging that you've got to, to keep people inspired? That's a great question. I mean, I think what I usually talk about, and this is, you know, yes, with, with within labs, within meta angels, with with other founders and within our community is, um, is around building for the long term, right? If you believe that this technology is going to really transform a lot of how we build companies, and I think it will, I think we're still at the very early stages and there's many applications we haven't even thought of. I mean, the lending that we did was an idea Ali had in November, December, and now it exists. What is, you know, there are going to be a lot of other things like that. Um, I think the, the way that the, when I talk to builders is I think I, this is where I come back to fundamentals. You have to think about it as a business. When you think about your mint and whatever the sales will be from your mint, how much runway does that give you? How many months do you have? How much are you going to need to spend per month? Is there variability within that, right? Like, do you have a low range, high range of what you need to run the business? Um, have you put aside money for taxes? If you're US-based, a third of your mint should be put aside for taxes. Right. Otherwise, you're going to have a really scary 
you know, next, next uh, spring when everything comes up and uh, the IRS comes calling, right? And so make sure that you've thought through that. If you don't have a budget, if you don't know how much you're spending, how much you want to spend each month, how can you set a mint price? Are you just going, is this what other people are charging? Is that how you would, if you were selling a pair of shoes, would you just say this is how much Nike charges for shoes or would you look at the cost of your shoes, right? It's really important to think about those fundamentals. And of course it's different, but give yourself a little bit of that perspective and how big should your collection be? Right now, a lot of people are considering smaller collections. I actually think it's a good move. They don't all need to be 10K. Um, And spending so long within the mint process, there's many strategic reasons to consider a slower mint. It's tricky when you end up against your ideal scenario in a slower mint because you both don't have the sales revenue and you're still focused on that part of the business. The launch is drawn out instead of the the rest. Um, And so thinking about how do you actually um, put that together and do you have the community and the demand, right? Are you ready to sell this? It's like doing a Kickstarter and you don't sell it out. Then you don't build the product. Here you sort of have already built some of the products. So as much as you can build that community, build that authentic demand um, and find your people. I think there's a lot of people who want different, to be parts of different elements of Web3. But if you are not differentiated enough and if you don't plan like a business, I think a lot of people are going to end up in trouble. And I hope that a lot of people are listening and double clicking on that and rewind and play that back. Because one thing that we have seen during this downturn is everybody talks about the the rug pull. I hate to get jargony on this podcast, but a rug pull essentially means you sell a project and then you go, I didn't make enough or I'm bored of this or I would never meant to fulfill the rug. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Bye, guys. It's like ghosting in the Web3 space, except you usually leave with hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars, or even if you just sell one NFT and you promise people stuff and you go, I don't feel like doing that anymore. That one person got a quote unquote rug pull. Um, But during this incredibly volatile time where it just happens to be a little bit more of a bear market, you're starting to see a lot of these people um, duck out. So that's when, at least in the traditional business sense, people say, well, maybe we got to go raise VC funding. Is part of the idea behind this, if people are building a real business, they can then operate as a real business, right? So that if they don't sell out their mint or in order to keep their company going, they're mature enough to go raise that funding or scale back their utility or find some sort of defensible way to keep this thing going. I mean, I, I definitely would, for for most sort of, people who are launching something in the NFT space, thinking about it like a community, right? If you're an artist and you're doing one of one art, that is the utility. You do not need to be having these conversations just to be clear. But if you're doing something and offering it really as a business, um, I, I would encourage people to think about what are your revenue streams? What are your options? If you're just saying, well, we'll just live on mint proceeds and secondary sales. What it, do some projections on secondary sales. What if they're low? What if the floor price goes up versus down? Does that give you enough to run your business? How long do you have? When we did our budget, we said, assuming no secondary sales royalties, no other revenue streams, how long would we have just on Mint? That is like what we did. Our, and then we said, everything else is gravy. That means we can hire more and move faster. But if none of that came true, we'd still have what we have today, what we know we have to spend. Um, and, you know, and we've done partnerships. We have six figures of, of, um, of revenue from you know, US dollar revenue from partnerships um, that we've done since Mint and others in the works. Um, and, and that is one potential revenue stream you can think about. But if that's not your core competency, you don't have that, either the relationships or the experience or the background, don't assume you can just get dollars from brands. So I think that's one of the things I would say to, to folks is to think through that um, and then think about spend. 
just like a startup, if you're an early stage startup, you are like what we used to call, you know, you can be ramen profitable for anyone who knows the sort of startup lingo there, which is, you know, you can spend very little um, and just, you know, what is your minimum cost? Do you need, you know, do you even need office space? Not in most of this world. Do you, you you need to pay for your, you know, Google email, your hosting? Okay. That's a small amount. You've got to pay salaries. How many people do you really need? Um, And people who have not built before, especially not built through cycles, right? I've, I've run a business through the pandemic. I've worked through the financial crisis, right? Seeing those ups and downs teaches you that you don't want to overspend up front. You want to make sure that there's things you can pull back um, and that you take into account. In this case, I think the big difference is the volatility in the in the um, exchange rate, right? Between fiat right. and cryptocurrencies. Um, and even, I mean, I'll use a silly example. If you're building a business and you have all of your revenue uh, from your sales in ETH, and you don't have a company institutional account, how do you turn those into dollars? Right. Right. Like that's something that can take months to get. So there's a lot of sort of operational pieces, not to scare people away from it, but that that, that take planning. Um, and the more intentional you are and the more you think about it, the better positioned you'll be. For us, we can ride out the spare market. Is it ideal? No. But it doesn't actually impact our ability to execute on what we were planning. Um, and that is a position that we were in because we were able to sort of think about that up front. And so both what you promise and what you think about, um, I think a lot of people focus on what will get us tweets or hype, but those, mm-hmm. those don't necessarily actually impact the business you're building and the fundamentals. And you talked about this in terms of speculation. This is a space in which business fundamentals are not actually taken into account yet. Mm-hmm. And I That's think fair. one of, <laughs> and that it's, I mean, I, I just take that as a grain of salt, right? There's, mm-hmm. there's times where people are like, what happened? It's like, there's external factors and there's internal factors. I can control the internal ones. Right. Are we building? Do we have a great team? Do we have a clear strategy? Are we building with intention? Are we executing on what we plan on executing at a high quality level? If I'm checking all those boxes, that I'm happy that we're doing what we're doing, we're delivering for our community. And then I look at our runway and our cash and our crypto, and I say, okay, how long do we have? And do we need to look at other things um, if the external market doesn't behave the way we'd like it to? But I don't count on it. So that would be my real advice as people think think through it is to not sort of put rose colored glasses and say, great, ETH will be at 4,000 and I'll get this many sales per month because mm-hmm. things can change very quickly as everyone has seen. Which is extremely akin to the traditional startup market, right? Sometimes you're you're saying, well, I'm launching a social app and as Clubhouse proved, you need 5,000 users to get a $100 million valuation. A16Z is going to throw money at you. And then, uh-oh, Clubhouse went cold. Now that's not happening anymore. I think that that's really solid advice to do your do your pre-planning, understand what you do and plan A, B, and C, and to treat it like a real business. I'm still seeing projects all the time. I won't call out any by name, but if you look at the top 15 on OpenSea right now, I would say eight of them literally don't have a roadmap. They're just like, hey, here's, here's a PFP, right, for PFP's sake, or this is a derivative PFP of another one that's popular. And you see those oftentimes, you know, up and up and up and up in price. Um, And I think that those are projects where mostly those will drop to zero eventually and people are just kind of playing chicken against the speculative nature of like, how long can the hype go and can I sell right before it hits that level? Or can I just relist on the sales market, go up 20% and then get out? But the ones that are going to make the real money in the future are ones thinking about it like a business. So really appreciate that point of view. We're coming up on our half hour already. That was so fast. But if people want to learn more about Meta Angels NFT, where should they go? 
Absolutely. So our website is metaangelsnft.com. It's very easy. We're meta underscore angels on Twitter. Um, and we'd love for you to stop by our Discord. You know, although we have our member gated channels that you can have if you're a holder or if you're a borrower, um, we do have open channels as well. And you can connect with people who are looking to lend in our Discord. Um, you know, our generous members are literally raise their hand and say, hey, let it let me know if you want you want to join. We'd love to have you here. So um, please do check us out. Um, and you know, for everyone who's building in the space, courage, it's a tough time to go through it. You're not alone. It can feel very um, bumpy and lonely. Um, take the time to, to, you know, take care of yourself and your team as well. Um, and for folks in the space, I think it's, you know, collectors, you know, both don't overextend yourself. Uh, I think that's something that, that you see a lot and be, and be kind to others. Right. Like there's a, I, I'm fortunate. I've been through a lot. I have a thick skin. I don't take things personally. I build to build and I know what we're doing and I'm proud of our team. Um, but it's, it's been, um, you know, looking at how, how the space is, I want to make sure that the good that we are building doesn't get overshadowed by the stress everyone is feeling at the moment um, mm -hmm. on just from a community perspective, because this is an opportunity to refocus, right. And to make yeah. sure that we're building the, the ecosystem we want for the future. Yeah. When markets are down, you learn and build. I think that's good advice. And don't gamble with money you don't have, which I think is also. No, do not. <laughs> and yeah. it's think of it just as, like the yeah. stock market. It's all gambling, right? <laughs> just like Vegas. This is more Vegas right. than stock market. At that's least fair. the stock market is tied to some sort of business fundamentals. Unless At, Reddit mostly. breaks it. But yeah, Unless Reddit breaks it. Yes. Reddit, Reddit <laughs> creates the exception to every rule. <laughs> that's a fact. That's a fact. Shout out to Reddit. We love you, Reddit. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us, Alex. We'll hope to have you back again in the future. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Have a great one. This episode of NFT Stories Podcast is hosted and produced by me, Phil Ranta. Theme music is by Mike Constantini, and we're made possible by our friends at We Are Verified. This episode has now officially been minted. See you at the next drop. This episode of the NFT Stories podcast is supported by We Are Verified, a leading digital creator management and creator services company. If you're looking for help on your next influencer marketing campaign, or if you're a creator looking for help on your business, or if you need a creator service like building an NFT campaign, recording your podcast, or optimizing your subscription platform community through Brand Army or OnlyFans, reach out to them at wave.la. That's W-A-V.la. Please note, I do work directly with We Are Verified as an advisor, but that's one of the reasons I know they're so dang good.